This morning we're considering the story of Job. And in verse 23 he struggles as sometimes we struggle. And he says, even today my complaint against God is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If, if only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. He goes on, but if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning, in those times when we feel alone, help us to remember that you are with us always. Amen. We're going to be dipping into various bits of uh, Job, uh, particularly during the, the sort of talk, um, just so that we can try and uh, cover the whole book in, in one sermon, which is an interesting challenge. Um, it's only got 42 chapters, I think. Um, but we'll dip into various bits of it. Job apparently was a real person, uh, but it, he's, he's not a prophet. Uh, he's obviously, it's in the New Testament, uh, and it's a sort of standalone book. Uh, and many call it the book of finding God, finding the hidden God. Where is God when you need him? Uh, and suffering, of course, comes in all sorts of different forms. I have, um, I'm a great fan of someone called Jefferson Bethke, uh, who's uh, an American, uh, what they would now call an urban poet, so he just, he raps or he talks in poet, uh, poetic form, uh, but he teases out truths from the Bible, and I think he's brilliant, uh, and you can get him on YouTube. He also does a little sort of four-minute teaching sessions, and this is one of them, on uh, why uh, does, and I think it's actually, the, the title is, Why Is There Suffering?, uh, but actually, the title on the, the screen, I think, is The God Who Suffers. I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine a couple months ago when he recounted the devastating news. How a couple years prior, his little five-year-old girl, Lenya, five days before Christmas, suddenly had an asthma attack, died, and went to heaven. All within just a couple of minutes. I've been thinking of that moment since we had lunch and I haven't been able to shake both the incredible ache and grief that comes our way in this life, but also the not of this world hope that he displayed coming from his words when he spoke. See, a lot of times when life begins to crush us, we hide or mask our pain behind our abstract questions like, where was God when I was hurting? Or if God is God, why does he let bad things happen? Or why does evil exist? And some of us, in that moment, we walk away from God bitter, not realizing that when we wave the finger at him, we are actually forfeiting the very thing that will give us peace we so desperately need in that moment. Also, I don't think we realize that a lot of times, even if we got an answer to those questions, I still don't think it'd satisfy us. It wouldn't take away the pain. It wouldn't give us hope. 
But see, what does is when death and suffering and brokenness get thrown at us and everything in us screams, God, where are you? That in that moment, we might have ears to hear that small whisper in our soul that says, I'm right here next to you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You are not alone. And see, that is what changes the heart. That is what gives life. That is what hope feels like, that we are not alone, that God has not left us out in the cold. See, the Christian God is a God who suffers, a God who enters into our world, came on our turf, and identifies with our pain. No other God can claim that. No other God does that. Only the God found in Jesus. See, when we look up, we see not a God who is high and lofty and distant, but one who is bloody, who is tortured, and who is alone. The one who said, I will go before them, and I will drink death's cup so that they don't have to. See, he takes that weight and that hurt and that shame, and he absorbs it on the cross. In the peculiar moment of seemingly one of the biggest defeats in all of human history, he was actually victorious. The lamb that was slain steps out of the grave three days later like a lion, and ever since, the world has never been the same. See, death died that day. I love how John Stott puts it. He says, we have to learn to climb the hill called Calvary, and from that vantage point, survey all of life's tragedies, because the cross does not solve the problem of suffering, but it supplies the essential perspective from which to look at it. See, sometimes God, we picture him as lounging, perhaps dozing, in some celestial deck chair while the hungry millions starve to death. But yet it is this terrible character of God, which the cross of Jesus completely smashes to smithereens. And since we are not alone, but we follow the one who defeated death, when it comes, we can stare it right in the face and say, you do not have the last word. See, Jesus is alive, and so death, where is your sting? This reading is taken from Job chapter 1, verse 1 to 12, followed by um, Job chapter 42, verse 1 to 6. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless, 
and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the word of the Lord. So help us as we lead, uh, as we go through these passages now, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, as you remember, we're working our way through the, uh, a series on hearing God. <clears throat> uh, and last week it was through other people. Today it's, it's God, uh, hearing God through suffering. And just to remind you, or, or quickly whiz through the, the story of Job, uh, as we saw in, the, in chapter 1, He starts as, uh, let's be honest, an incredibly wealthy man. Incredibly wealthy man. Uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, large number of servants, the greatest man in all the East. And then, in comes Satan, and we have what, it, it almost appears like a sort of council chamber and God is on the throne but in comes Satan and says he's only getting what uh, you know he's only a God fearing man because you're giving him so much and God says well okay don't touch the man but take away the things that he has and then over the coming uh, chapters we see that his family start dying the cattle go and he's left destitute and with a disease himself. So there he is, this greatest man in the East, brought low. And all he has left are three friends. Uh, and one, of course, chuckles slightly and uses the term friends loosely. Uh, they sit with him and sympathise with him. But their thoughts turn to theology. I mean, our thoughts always turn to theology in those moments, don't they? And they propound their theory to him. And it's pretty much along the lines uh, that Satan had been uh, suggesting as well. We might call it the prosperity theology. 
In other words, if you are honest with God, you believe God, he'll look after you and you'll do terribly well. It has, a, it has a certain currency, if I can use that word, even now. Your prosperity grows the closer that you are to God. And therefore, these three friends point the finger at Job and say, therefore, you must be terribly bad. Look at what's happened to you. What have you done to deserve all this? And his hardship is expressed through his inadequacy. One of his friends says, Think how you've instructed many, how you've strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumble. You've strengthened faltering knees. But now, now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence, your blameless ways, your hope? Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they're destroyed. At the blast of his anger, they perish. That's the sort of friend you want. In other words, when you were pious, you were fine. You're clearly not now. So where's your piety gone? It's all your fault. And these friends have three speeches each, all in sort of poetic form. Uh, but the interesting point is that they're all searching for answers, which is why earlier I read that uh, section from chapter 23. Because they bring Job to the point of saying, look, I go to the north and you're not there. I go south, you're not there. East, west, you're just not there. Where are you, God? I'm trying to find, I'm trying to uh, stick with you. I'm trying to find you in all this mess. And you're just not there. And then ultimately it moves on right the way through. And it, um, I mean, it's, we're talking tens of passages of, of woe and dismal uh, text. And then we reach verse 37 and there is this massive uh, thunderstorm out of which in, verse, uh, in chapter 38 uh, God speaks. The Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I'll question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid the cornerstone? while the morning stars sang and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further. Where were you then? And yet you doubt me? And then Job responds in that honest, uh, sort of overwhelming grief and repentance. Uh, And we get to chapter 42 and he says, You were honest with me, God. You said, sit down and answer my questions and I couldn't. And now I repent of my sins. Uh, And the book ends with him 
becoming more prosperous uh, again. So, it's a cheery story, at least in the last three chapters. What does all that say to us today? See, suffering can have many forms. We immediately think of war, we think of famine, we think of physical uh, injury, we think of emotion, we think of perhaps financial uh, difficulty. But what about that illness? What about the grief? What about the domestic abuse? What about depression? What about self-doubt? What about loneliness? The suffering in silence that actually probably each one of us has experienced even this week. Some form of suffering. And we could go on, couldn't we? Each of us will have a different situation. But I suspect our response is probably very similar each time. The first thing we say, it's really not fair. Why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this thing to happen to me? Whatever our level of suffering, I suspect our feelings follow that pretty similar path. Perhaps not so acute. But ultimately, we say, in the midst of our suffering, where is God? But interestingly, and I I looked um, at various passages in the Bible and do you know I can't find anything in the Bible which says we're not going to suffer or we're not going to uh, experience difficult times that we're not going to be anxious because God says I will not let you be tested beyond your endurance that implies that we are going to be tested do not be anxious about anything but by prayer and petition present your request to God that implies that we're going to be anxious Do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow have enough worries of its own. That suggests that we're going to be worrying. God knows how we feel. He's simply saying, I will be there with you in it. All of those things acknowledge that we're going to have difficulties, but he will be with us through it. And it's exactly that point that Job reaches after all of that theological tussle throughout the book. He refuses, he can't quite understand it, but he refuses to give up. And then at the end he says, God, if you planted the stars in the sky, you raised up the mountain, you laid the seas, who am I to say that you can't deal with my petty little issues? Petty they weren't for him, perhaps. It's not that God cannot do it. He allows these things to happen. We live in a fallen world. And things happen because we live in a fallen world. And God can't intervene to stop things. But he can promise to be there with us. So I wonder how we experience that. And Job looked back, didn't he? He understood what God was in his very being. He could understand that despite things being difficult, he could still rely on that presence and that love of God. Now, I haven't, um, I'm perhaps not terribly well qualified to speak on suffering because I haven't suffered in many senses. I know I've just said that we all suffer, but 
you know, sometimes you look at people and you say that person is suffering. But I have experienced a bit over the last six weeks or so. Um, just before uh, Christmas, I don't know how many of you know this, uh, my father was taken into hospital. And he was there for about six weeks. Uh, the first two or three weeks, he was, uh, he was vocal without being lucid. The final three weeks, without food and water, he struggled and struggled. And then on the 29th of December, he died. And I miss him. His funeral was a couple of weeks ago. And immediately afterwards, that was a Friday, on the Monday, uh, I set off on a grand tour of all the offices I look after around the country. Why? Simply because times are tough. Uh, And when times are good, you take on staff and you do things which perhaps in hindsight, you know, were good at the time, but when you look back, you think, I wasn't very sensible. So I've been going around the country making people redundant. For two weeks so far, I've got another four weeks to go. Tomorrow morning, I'm back on the the plane to Edinburgh uh, to make three more people redundant. And when you sit in front of them, you're aware of the awful sort of power and hold that you have over them. These are really nice people. And sadly, the economy is such that it's not actually their fault in many cases. It's just what it is. And when you sit in front of a whole office and you say, well, I'm going to shut this office and every one of you is going to be out of a job in two weeks' time. You're aware of their anxiety. You share their pain. You then look at yourself and you feel guilty. You feel, why haven't I been able to prevent this? Why haven't I done something earlier to stop this? And yet it's come to this. And it's a rubbish feeling, I have to tell you. Uh, And when I finished all 27 or so that we've got on our radar at the moment, I will be able to move on. Uh, And I pray that they will also. But that's 27 people whose pain I'm carrying at the moment. Where is God in all that? How can a vicar come to their office and tell them that sort of news? That's rubbish. But actually, it's the wrong question to ask. God is not absent, but present. The most emotional one I had, actually, was... I'm sorry, this is depressing for you. Uh, The most uh, emotional one I had was um, when I went to Harrogate, and I shut the entire office... Um, the economy's bad, but when you're dealing with Yorkshiremen as well, who like money in their pocket, uh, it's a real, real struggle. Um, and they thanked me for the times that I'd given them. They thanked me for the way that I'd told them. 
And then they thanked me that I hadn't just gone to close it, I came up with an alternative solution for them. And we're working that, that through. But they could not have been more gracious. And I was so worried about it. Uh, and I texted Debbie afterwards because she'd been praying as well. God was at work. God was present. It wasn't a pleasant experience. It's stressful. But God moves in your life when you allow him that room and that presence to move. God is the same God whose nature is always to have mercy. We say that often, don't we? And for them, that may be a real opportunity. For me, it was an opportunity to be gracious and compassionate. So how can we hear God through those difficult times? Job did three things. Firstly, he acknowledged who God is, his presence, his power, his care, his love, his willingness to be by our side. He acknowledged who God was. And secondly, he then removed any barrier that he had Gone were the days of him theologizing and thinking and pontificating about uh, what might be happening. He put all of his own personal circumstances on one side. He stopped accusing God because that makes God liable for your issue. God isn't liable for your issue, you are. And God wants to be present in that situation. So thirdly, he listened And the whole Bible is about relationship. The whole Bible is trying to say, let us be in Christ. And Job ended up by saying that he was in God. He believed in God. He wanted to walk day by day in the presence of God. And I've been thinking about that expression, in Christ. And actually, uh, it was another clip from Jefferson Bethke that I, I nearly played this morning that just brought it home to me. Because each one of us, despite our suffering, despite those times of anxiety, we can be in Christ. What does in Christ mean? He gave this example of getting on a plane, which was quite pertinent, because that's me tomorrow morning. Uh, He said, when you get on a plane, you are completely reliant on the plane and the pilot, Adam. Please. (laughs) and that is what it is to be in Christ he said what's more when you get on the plane you can do nothing you actually sit, relax mainly and rest you can do nothing and that is what it is to be in Christ you're putting yourself in a place where Christ is conveying you Christ is taking you. Christ is leading you, directing you. He's the pilot of your life. And interestingly, therefore, I played the clip where he says, God suffers. God suffers when we suffer. But when we are in Christ, we can walk in the presence of God. Each one of us knows suffering in some way. And that suffering won't go, but the presence of God can come. And in the presence of God, we can have hope. Hope 
and trust and we can see a future. And when you can see a future, you're prepared to walk step by step forwards. You're prepared to move rather than wallow. So this week, whatever you face, let each one of us be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us. We thank you that we can be in you. And we pray that this week we may indeed experience your presence in a new way that we may walk with you through whatever we face in the knowledge that you walk with us. Amen.